and out of it would come a new type of system, not quite capitalist, not quite communist, but what it is really is a fascist system with a communistic style bureaucracy, massive bureaucracy running the world and the people underneath. So they all knew this. And as we played and our parents played and, and watched television and put our lives down the tubes literally, virtually by watching the TV, just passing time till you die, these big organizations were busy building the future through associations. And I'll be back with more of this after these messages. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm doing some research for my podcast right now at CorbettReport.com, and I wanted to draw on your vast historical knowledge to ask you about GWF Hegel. Now, your audience is probably familiar with the idea of problem-reaction-solution, by which the ruling oligarchs manage to move society in whatever direction they wish by playing both sides of a crisis and then presenting their phony solution, yeah. which, of course, is just their their way of pushing society in whatever direction they want. Mm-hmm. And this is usually traced back to Hegel and the Hegelian dialectic, the yeah. thesis, antithesis, leads to synthesis. Mm-hmm. But I suspect this knowledge is probably part of the ancient knowledge by which the oligarchs have been ruling over free humanity for centuries, if not millennia. Yeah, yeah, and right. I was wondering, what can you tell us about Hegel and where he might have gotten the idea for the dialectic? Well, Hegel himself belonged to uh, Masonic orders, uh, Rosicrucian orders, and he was heavily backed by, uh, to, uh, paid just to, he's actually quite mad in some respects. He took um, fits where you'd have to be locked up for a while inside his own apartment. But he was looked after by some very rich and powerful people uh, who sponsored him uh, to sit and write this kind of material. But you're quite right, uh, he didn't come up with the idea uh, his whole thing was to try and write in such a way for a new time, a new period, where it would fit together with the coming Superman. That's behind all of these writings, is the, the coming of the new Superman, which was a, an actual belief system of the Rosicrucian society. It still is. Uh, that there'd be an old man, and through evolution, through scientific means, they could create a new type of uh, perfected superhuman and the Germans also took that off into the Superman idea. And uh, uh, you, as I say, ancient society is perfectly well understood because all it is is military strategy. Uh, military strategy, uh, they plan a battle. The enemy often doesn't know what's going to occur. Uh, they, they say, when we move here, the enemy will then react this way. 
and then hopefully through the conflict we'll get them to go that way. That's, that's your uh, synthesis. It's always the synthesis that they're after, and they use, use, they use an action made by them followed by a counter-reaction made by, by the opposing force, and then they get to where they want to go in the first place. And that was the whole idea of setting up uh, the, the Soviet system and uh, to eventually blend, as Lenin talked, with the West. Uh, there are no sides in this in actuality. Uh, they knew there's different mentalities within human nature, so they would give us sides to join. Classes were very important to join one side or another. But there really there was one, one hand at the top behind this um, because it falls under economics. And it's to do with basically... Um, the principle of materialism, both capitalism and communism, deal solely in the material world uh, with materials and economics. That's what they're based on. And so the, the idea was through uh, giving you conflict through oppositions, you will come to an understanding, then a merger, and out of that you have your synthesis, which is to be the new world order, or as Bertrand Russell called, he said, a world run by experts and bureaucracies. Well, that's exactly what we have. But, yeah, Hegel himself was put there, as many of these people are, and sponsored and paid handsomely by very rich, powerful people. But always Absolutely. To, to, in fact, your description of Hegel being sort of um, locked up in a room and, you know, handled mm-hmm. by people above him sounds to me exactly like Marx and the way he was also handled by exactly industrialists. You'll find this with all of them. You see, how you make a star is quite easy. Uh, you, you make a star by telling the people you're going to bring forward the star. And you build it up and build it up in the media. In those days, it was newspapers and magazines. They did the same with, with Darwin. No one had heard of Darwin. He was unknown. And they wanted to make him a star. And when he eventually came out with his, his book, he was already made. You see, so they, they built it up by waving the wand. Uh, the public anticipation was geared up, and suddenly he's a star. And then he's boosted by the institutions that already, and the foundations that already were running the world in those days. And they make it so exciting. It's meant to grab the youth, especially with um, with Hegel, and even Nietzsche was the same. Nietzsche was very, very similar, in fact, in temperament, and. Um, he also wrapped in the whole Superman theory and the evolution of mankind. That all goes back to Darwinism, which is a chief, again, a chief belief in all high masonry and the high, uh, what we call, occultic side of it, of which really um, it does exist. It's not the little boys at the bottom uh, with the aprons on. It's the big boys at the top with the real story. And uh, it's all, as I say, it's all based on materialism, the concept of the material world, uh, without um, any deity uh, looking over you, um, this new world order, in fact, will be the worst and the most severe system we've ever seen. We saw that, uh, that a touch of that in the Soviet system, uh, where they were utterly ruthless. They wiped out millions of people over many, many years, and uh, they went after all religions. Uh, it was worse under Khrushchev. Khrushchev persecuted all churches, violent more so than Stalin ever did. And there's no trial. You're just simply rounded up and killed. And this new world order, we can see it already. There's no moral background behind it whatsoever. It's based on materialism. 
a psychopathic type system and where might is right and it will be horrific when it all comes down. So if this knowledge already existed centuries before Hegel, why then was it necessary to get Hegel to actually bring this to the public domain? Why is that such an important part Most of their agenda? Most of these books are written for recruits. It, it changes the mindset of, of thousands and thousands of youngsters who get caught up in it and excited, and they become willing workers towards it to help bring it, a society as is envisaged, into actual existence. So to a certain extent, then, people like Marx, who took Hegel's ideas, may have actually been in their own mind, really sort of acolytes of that idea rather than to some ancient esoteric idea. That too, but they, they also did attend the Masonic lodges. Um, a good book to read is one written by Trotsky. It's called My Life. And in that book, he tells you that he joined the Masonic lodge and that everyone in Russia, uh, who was anybody, belonged to it at that time. Very interesting. Thank you very much for all of that information, Mr. Watt. Thanks for coming. And we'll go now to got Wayne in Oregon. Hello, Wayne. Hi. Yeah, um, this is really not uh, anything like the last uh, question, but I'm just, uh, I was wondering about something uh, called permaculture. A guy named Bill Mollison. Uh-huh. You ever heard of him? No. Oh, well, so. you know what permaculture is? I've, I've heard bits and pieces, but yeah. not. Yeah. Um, it's just a type of agriculture where, you know, you incorporate various types of plants and stuff and kind of make it make it like a, uh, you know, kind of where each is kind of like a jungle of food or, or something like that. Yeah. But anyway, just I was watching something online about that, and it just kind of made me think about, you know, the false uh, overpopulation. Mm-hmm. Um you know, thing that they're trying to push, and uh, how this basically just kind of proved to me that, you know, it's, you know, just another thing that proves that it's kind of pretty phony, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. people could easily, you know, sustain themselves with the right type of agriculture, I guess. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, as I say, yeah. the whole idea, if you go back into the histories of, of the suburban sprawl, as it was called back in the 60s, an attempt to reduce suburban sprawl meant that they stopped literally building outwards in the cities and in fact they haven't been building brand new buildings they maybe replace an old building on top of an old one with a new one uh, but they've not been building new ones and they know that all immigrants come into cities that they, they basically give a free reign on immigration for 30 years they made sure that all the major cities are overcrowded and it gives the appearance of being too many people, and that's intentional, but it's really illusion. Yeah. So, uh, food itself, of course, is a weapon. Never forget that. And uh, and the way they transport food as well mm-hmm. kind of works works out that way too. I think. Yes, and since World War Two, that's when governments really got into the, the the business of farming. They came into the farmers' house, you might say, uh, with deals and all the rest of it. Until eventually, the, the government was the boss. They started putting farmers out of business. The banks helped them, of course, go out of business. And the big agribusinesses came in and took all the farms over, amalgamated them. So a cartel of, of, uh, of the agribusiness boys own the world's food supply, and now they're starting to hoard it, keep it back, give us the appearance of shortages, because it's going to be used now as a weapon. Exactly 
what the Minister of Agriculture for the United Nations said that they would do. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, kind of blows my mind as, as to what they, you know, plan on doing and then, like, what's possible, you know, if people... Anything's possible. ...put their, you know, efforts in the right place or something, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't really have to be a world of, you know... Um, yeah, but again, you're not thinking. Want. These people, these people, it's nothing <laughs> to do with logic. <laughs> we, we think log- logically and we, we have, uh, we can come and go with people's ideas or opinions. These people at the top are control freaks. Oh, yeah. Sure. You see, that that's the whole point. They are on a mission, they have their quest, and they're sworn to it, and, and that's part of why they're up there. I'll let the next caller on, but yep. thanks for thanks the time. Back with more after this break.
I'm sorry. I was just about to say a bad word there. The rudest people that I could ever talk to. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they said, you need to talk to uh, Where does this broadcast come from? They don't even look. I was a Department of Defense police officer 35 years ago. The same thing as the Ministry of Defense Police in England. I know what the law is, and I know that they have jurisdiction across state lines. And if someone says that and it goes across state lines on any radio network, they're liable. The bottom line is, though, say the uh, they're not going to look into that. I tried to, you know, and they uh, so you know what they did. Mm-hmm. I, I finally called up, and I sure, sure, I probably should have, but I said I was very, you know, I was, uh, yeah, apologizing to them. Mm-hmm. And they said, call, and then they finally, this gal at the local FBI, who was the biggest, well, I won't go into it, you know, I can say words, but you know yeah, what I'm I know, saying. I know, I know. But they're not going to go into it anyway. Because they said, and I called the FBI in California, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, yeah. where this Michael Reagan, mm-hmm. and that's who did it, broadcast from. Yeah. I get first a secretary. She is just as hateful as the one I talked to. Yeah. Then I talked to uh, some other agent. And then they gave me to someone, and I don't know who he was, and no one would ever identify themselves. That's right. Yeah, I know. And I know I, let know. me tell you. Let, let me tell you what the conversation came down to here. Yeah, be quick now. I'll do it. I said to him, uh, you know, I told him about the whole deal. I said, are you going to take my... I was making a police report mm-hmm. to the FBI of the United States of America, yeah. which I am a citizen. And, and, and did you get any response from them at all? No. You know what no. the guy started saying? Yeah. Let me tell you what he started. He said, do you believe in 9-11? Do you think 9-11 was an inside That's all he kept repeating. Okay, okay. And then finally I just had to just, I, I had a, a few very choice words with him. Yes. <laughs> and that was the end of that conversation. Yeah, I know. I won't go any further because... If you walk in that door and they, they'll, they'll test you to see if you believe in the Constitution and America and, and the old America. See, they've changed America. And uh, if you believe in the old America, then you're the problem, according to them. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. You know, Al, that's why I listen to you night after night, because, you know, even the Canadians, the, even the British know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over in Britain. I know. They know what the, they know what the, the lay of the land is. And the ones that are awake know what's happening here. Yeah. But there's so many people here, like that little torp I talked to with the FBI. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I got a chance to get my licks in with him verbally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And I'm waiting for him to come knock on my door, but we'll see what happens. Here. We'll see what happens. Well, thanks for calling. Back after the following break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
cutting through the matrix. And we've got Elena from Texas on the line. Are you there, Elena? Hi, Alan. How are you? Not so bad. Uh, please bear with me. I'm quite nervous. Um, I've been listen to, listening to yourself for a couple of years now. I have to thank you for all the knowledge that you've offered. I grew up in a family that is diehard Christians, and all my life, I, you know, it, growing up in church, you know, I saw things that didn't add up. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I mean, there's, you know, I just always uh, didn't understand why my parents would lie to me about things, you know. And too recently, uh, I, my, I had a confrontation with my mother and, you know, I was just speaking the truth to her about some things. And, of course, like a child, a socialized little child, you know, she got offensive. And <laughs> she had just told me that she loves unconditionally, but because I wouldn't turn around and apologize to her for speaking the truth, yeah. uh, she told me she could no longer watch my daughter, which, you know, mm. that's fine. I'm not going to apologize for speaking the truth. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. But I have to tell you, it's definitely a struggle growing up in this system. We're currently in the system in Dallas. Yeah. Um, well, everywhere, I guess. I just asked my boss for a raise last week, and, of course, you know, I told him how my workload is steadily increasing. Of course, my pay isn't. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, you know, gave me the line, you know, that it's not in the yeah. budget. <laughs> yeah. Although, <laughs> although right. you know, of course, I told him, to the point, you know, I feel like I'm thinking for everyone here, and something has to change. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, it's not in the budget. Anyway, um, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so nervous. <laughs> no, it's all right. You're doing okay. Uh, I would just like maybe for some people who are just waking up or, or for some of us who, you know, I saw things weren't right and when I was growing up, what I was being told that in this, this society that we live in where women are suppressed and, you know, we're not supposed to speak out or anything, and that's what I was growing I grew up to believe, and, you know, so it was. this is the hardest part for me is to get past this. I know I need to speak out yeah. and speak the truth to yeah. others. They need to hear it, and that's, you know, that's the only way. That it's the only way. It's the only way, and it, what it is, too, and people don't realize that for 50, 60 years, they've had an intense scientific indoctrination into another reality, and during that process, they lost their natural humanity along the way. And, right. and it happened, too, because people did stop talking. Powerful groups, it was the whole agenda to bring out powerful, well-funded groups to change society. And, and it's left us with the materialistic, atheistic, and, and uh, with no real morality in society. It's a dog-eat-dog society. When we're all separated like this and we're not being humane towards each other, the big boys can manage us all perfectly well, much better than when we're independent and we believe in things and we treat each other and we, we look after each other. See, government's taken over all those roles. They're, they're the big uh, brother now. Right. And it's, a, it's not a good society, and it's not meant to go on uh, much longer. It's designed this way, and it is designed, even this phase of it, is designed to transform into the next step for initial brutality and, and then emerge out into the Huxleyan world from the Orwell world uh, eventually. That's, what the, that's what's on the cards. It's out in the history books. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Watt, I won't take up too much of your time. I will be calling you again, and I thank you for your time. Well, you hang in there. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. 
Now I've got Mark from California. Are you there, Mark? Hi, Alan. Hi. I have a question. I was listening to one of your last broadcasts that you did, and you talked about reference to how the elite wants to push the vegetarianism agenda, and I just wondered if you can elaborate about that a little bit. Yeah, it's always been part. I don't know if you realize that the revolutionary parties down through the centuries, the high ones claimed to be uh, vegetarians, including Benjamin Franklin. I don't know if you knew that, because it's part of the upper, the upper occultic religion within them. And the same with Adolf Hitler. He was also vegetarian. And Newt Gingrich, uh, he was giving out the books uh, called The Third Way by Toffler to every congressman a few years ago when it came out. And Toffler's a big spokesman, of course, for that particular class of elites. And in the book, he said, uh, we are creating a vegetarian world, and it must be so. He didn't say why it must be so. He said it must be so. Well, for the rest of the world, believe you me, on the GMO food, uh, it's going to be a hor- it's already a horror show. People are getting cancer of the stomach and everything else, and all kinds of diseases and, and uh, weird symptoms out of this GMO food. But the big boys will be eating completely different stuff. So it's, a, it's an occultic part of their tradition. A lot of this tradition in what we call masonry is ancient. It's called many name- names down through the centuries, and to, to, since the 1700s, I've called it Freemasonry. But it's always been there, and uh, it really tra- has, takes roots in the Aryan belief of India. And the Aryans, of course, gave us the Brahmins, and the Brahmins uh, brought out the religions for the people to follow. Uh, and that also has to do with vegetarian diets and so on. Because when you said that, I had remembered I had seen that in a book called Freemasonry and Catholicism by uh, Max Handel, I think, something like that. Yeah. And he went into that. So when you said it, I knew that you um, there was something behind it. Also, oh, yeah. I was just wondering if you've heard of uh, Jordan Maxwell. It seems that a lot of uh, the things you say in the meanings and the origins of this stuff, uh, it's like you're on the same uh, uh, level. Mm-hmm. I've, heard, heard I've heard Jordan, yeah. I've heard of him, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Alan. And thanks for calling. Bye. And then we've got Rick in California. Is Rick there? Hi, Alan. Hello. Hey, this is, this is Rick. Uh, how are you doing? Not so bad. No, good. Um, I I um, wanted to respond to to um, I was thinking about the Topanga Canyon article that you had uh, read um, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, I wrote a, I wrote like a little piece I wanted to to, to read, you know, because I could I can express it better in writing than I can in speech, and I was wondering if I could read it. It's real short. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I want to get your response on it. This is. It says, of the X generation, growing up amidst women with orange mohawks, I, prefer the, I preferred the music of my parents, the hippie music, because people of that generation could play their instruments much better and their records were more well-produced. But underlying the hippie facade, there's an ominous current in the notes, as if the demons of Crowley are being channeled through the drugs, expressing themselves as minor chords shrouding the sky over Topanga Canyon with low clouds. There is also a note of sorrow snaking through, especially in Neil Young. When I hear some of the music of the late 60s, early 70s, it is easy to form a picture in my mind of women with flowers in their hair dancing and clapping to tambourines. But the flowers seem too exotic, as if they might be poisoned somehow, as tainted as Jim Jones's Kool-Aid. And the, and the expression on the women's faces is as blank as the Manson family girls. Listening to the music, you're, you're not sure if it is from heaven or hell. You're not sure if it means well or is malevolent in its purpose. It sends you to a sort of murky twilight. 
The multimedia establishment fabrication circus called the Summer of Love is just around the corner, but it is herald, heralded by a June gloom. So I was wondering what you thought of that, Alan. Yeah, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, no, I says a bit of it too. Yeah. Um, well, could, have you ever talked about Jim Jones and the um, temple, the People's Temple, being CIA? Yeah, you, years ago I did a, a talk on. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's still up there or not. Oh, okay. But yeah, he was given permission um, to start that up. In fact, um, he was given permission by Ronald Reagan at one point when he was the governor of California to take this cult method into the mental hospitals in California to try techniques on the patients, thinking this on the premise it would benefit them. So he was hand in glove or from the very beginning uh, with the mind control and CIA. Mm. Okay. All right, I don't want to take up too much time, Alan. Thank you very much for, for listening to that. Yeah, thanks for calling. All right, you're welcome. Yep, there's no doubt about it. See, every era is given its music and it's what they think is their culture, and it never dawns on them uh, when you go through it that rather old people in tweed suits surround tables and discuss every part of it, including what the hairstyle is going to be and if your belly button will show or not. And now I understand it's a little crack behind. It's very popular in both male and female. And they adapt. See, people go right into it because most people are never really conscious. And strangely enough, they don't question uh, who gave them this culture, who gave them this fashion, what's the purpose behind it, where is it supposed to lead. And really, it's a downward spiral to complete degradation. And it was intended to be so because when you look at the old revolutionary doctrines of both the Nazi and the communist and so on, the idea was to debase society, debase it and debase it and debase it. And also the disintegration of the family was a must-be, separate the people till they're all wandering in their own little alleys. And then there'll be riots down the streets, down the end, uh, and it can be easily controlled because no one can come together cohesively. This is a, a scientific technique, and we've lived through it being done. We've watched the only oppositions being destroyed from within, infiltrated and destroyed. And really, the people are always guided by very intelligent people on a military strategy. That's how it's done. Everything is to do with, we'll do this, the public will react this way, we will then do that, and then the public will then react that way. And we're led and guided along the path. And it's always to our own demise, because we don't stop to reason. Most people, as I say, have no reasoning abilities of their own anymore. They re react to things. They also adapt to everything that comes down so quickly, as Plato said. We're the most adaptable species on the planet. So anything can be made to be normal, even though it's the reverse morality of one generation ago, and those living through it are the last to even question it, or the whys, or who guided us here to this point, and where is it supposed to go. Very, very few people ever attain consciousness in their lifetime, and Brzezinski was right. It's actually worse now because the scientific techniques, that people look to the media to guide them. In fact, he said that they expect the media to do their reasoning for them. When you allow anyone else to do your reasoning, you're in big trouble. And that's where we are today, in big, big trouble. And this agenda, as I say, it's definitely run in a coordinated fashion with a thousand points of light, which is a thousand organizations working together like the pyramid to bring us to this, to this grand conclusion of theirs, even though it will take up to 30 years through chaos 
and the Orwellian uh, big boot syndrome and the gun butt on the jaw type syndrome until they can bring us into the next phase, which is the, the Huxleyan Brave New World type scenario where they'll create new humans. 30 years is, is what they pretty well predict to bring all of this off. And people will object and fight to try and keep what they think is their system. And I've told them before, you better think it right through. What is it you would fight for? You can't fight to keep a system that isn't yours now. It wasn't yours 10 years ago. You're simply familiar with this era that you've been living through. That's what we regret, is leaving it behind. Things which are familiar to us, easier times where there was less stress. But it was still owned by the same families and run by the same thousand points of light. Benjamin Franklin mentioned this point of light in his own book. He says, I want to go down in history as a point of light. That was also uh, brought up by a president that was Theodore Roosevelt. When he talked about the path of history, it was like a dark, dark, dark alley winding. And down through it, you have a point of light here and a point of light there. These are the great people who, he says, changed the world, even though there were tyrants, most of them, and conquerors and bloody-minded. They changed the direction of the world and created empires and so on. Today, you have the thousand points of light with think tanks, foundations, the big money banks, all tied together uh, almost seamlessly. And that's how they operate, guiding and pulling us and they have control of every facet of culture, and they also have control of everything that you need in this artificial system to to survive. Now, we'll go, I'll go to, to Mari in California. Are you there, Mari? Hi, Alan. Hello. Um, this is Mayor from L.A. L.A. Um, hi, how you doing? I'm not bad. Um, good. I wanted to ask you, about four months ago, my 17-year-old daughter um, had a very bad case of tonsillitis, and they put her in the hospital, and they gave her steroids and antibiotics, uh-huh. and then they sent her home, and uh, we expected her to get well, and she did not. So about a month later, she came down with this very odd-looking rash from head to toe, uh-huh. so I took her to the doctor. And uh, she said that she had never seen a rash like that, and she wanted uh, permission uh, to go get two more doctors to look at this rash. Mm-hmm. So these two, now we have three doctors in the room looking at my daughter's rash, and it was from head to toe, and they had never seen anything like it. Uh-huh. And they asked me they, about the diet and uh, washing uh, soap, you know, in your laundry. Yeah. And I said, nothing has changed. I said, the only thing I can think of is the chemtrails mm-hmm. up in the sky. And the minute I said that, yeah. these three doctors, they acted like Stepford wives. They, all three of them turned their back on me uh-huh. and pretended that I wasn't in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they really did. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God. And then I thought, they're in on it. Mm-hmm. Are they in on it because it makes so much money for them? Well, I do know this, that the police in Britain know about it. They're told 
even if they're talking or interrogating someone on the street, if that person points up and, asks and talks about the chemtrails, they're told to stop interrogating, uh, avoid contact, turn around and walk away. Right, but not to alarm the be, public. So you'll yeah, find it's the same with the yeah. medical profession. Uh, they, they know, some of the higher-ups know uh, what's going on, and the public are not to, are not to be engaged in the conversation. Yeah. Right, because I even went so far, I said, I'm, I'm curious why the news media and the doctors are not talking about this. Yes. And they refused to acknowledge me at all. That's what they're told to do. They, they can't engage you at all. They can't uh, even comment on it. Okay, so they are in on it. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've talked to a lot of uh, doctors and uh, high levels at the Mayo Clinic and so on, and they see so much that's changed in the last two or three years. Uh, they've opened up young guys in their 30s that, that literally have advanced aging um, just in these last few years. It's incredible what's happening, and they see the, the bronchial problems with all age groups and they're very young because of the constant spraying, but they, they can't talk about it amongst themselves even. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I'm not crazy. They just, no. uh, yeah. All right, yeah. well, thank you, Alan. Uh, thanks for coming. Okay, bye-bye. Bye now. Now, we've got Christopher from Ireland. Are you there, Christopher? Hello? Hello. Hello? Yes. Hi, you, you mentioned about... Um, I'll tell you, Chris, Chris, just hold on. That's that break starting again. And hold on, and we'll get you after this message here. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Walkback, and we're cutting through the Matrix. And we'll get back to Christopher from Ireland. Go ahead, Christopher. Yeah, you were talking about the Lisbon tree there earlier on, the artist show. Yes. It's, yeah, yeah, it's the uh, dr- draconian laws and all this, but there's an interesting thing that's been kind of covered up over here. Mm-hmm. Um, a group spawned out of nowhere that two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, um, with millions millions of euros to put up posters all over the place and second billboards and all advertising for a, uh, a novel. And if you looked into it, all the membership of the group is all U.S. Um, military contractors. Yeah. So why, why, why did you think a group like that would spawn out of nowhere and actually try to get a no vote because they put they put them up all over the fucking country. Well, they'll have they'll, they'll have something big in mind somewhere. Um, this is the, we only see the end results and things when they start building places. Um, mm. But see, we're all international already, and uh, these characters scoured the world hundreds of years ago. They knew where every bit of gold was in Canada, even the Rothschilds' own mountains in Nova Scotia that there aren't even been touched yet. But uh, if, it's, if there's something in that area they want, um, they, they know what's underneath every part of every area in the soil. And believe you me, if a big company like that is um, is doing something, there's something important in that area they want. Yeah, that, that was the, the EU law for the kind of yeah. loss of any hint of sovereignty that any country has. That's what it would like. Mm-hmm. No more constitutions and all that lack. Fucking 
you think that that would be some kind of inner feud, though, if it was like one group uh, with military contractors and all this spawning out of nowhere? Mm-hmm. When, um, if the military contractors are involved, then something big is to be built in that area. And they already have this, they call it the, the old alliance. It's the, the contact between Britain and America. It's been all through the Cold War. Margaret Thatcher kept referring, referring to it as um, our understanding. It's, it's actually a, a sort of private or secret treaty to do with NATO, the U.S., and Britain. And uh, no doubt there's some big base going to get built uh, there. Right. Yeah. The, one of the advertisements for it was let's keep NATO because yes, well, of the militarization of Europe. Yes. So uh, yeah. military, uh, European battle groups. Yes. That makes perfect uh, so yeah. Some kind of cluster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, sure. Thanks for calling. Right, and that's what you have in this world of ours. We have... Um, Big things that happen, we, we, there's no real democracy, there, there never was. It's a, a show for the public, but those at the top, like Carl Quigley said, are picked by the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, and they have to answer to them. If you notice when Bill Clinton got in trouble for his um, smoking uh, uh, habits, the strange smoking habits, um, he had to appear first to the Council on Foreign Relations before he'd appear to the people. That was all you needed to know on that. Why would he have to go to this so-called non-political body? Well, you see, they're telling the truth. They're non-political. They don't play politics. They make agendas. They leave politics to the lower level. Well, that's it from Canada and from Hamish and myself tonight in Ontario. Good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.